Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Um, yeah, whoa, that was, a, that was an enthusiastic wool just then. I might say it again, it's great to be here. Wow, you guys, you guys are on fire today. This is awesome. So good. Hey, um, honestly, it is so exciting to be here, be in the room, and, um, and just see so many familiar faces. Uh, as Jesse said, you know, we, my wife and I and my family were here for a number of years. Um, can I just say that um, she is so gutted that she can't be here today. We've got three boys, 13, 11, and 7, and my youngest son, 7-year-old, is for the first time in his life, he's emceeing at Children's Church today, and he wanted the whole family there, but I had to let him down, and I've come here, but the rest of the family is there to make sure that he has a successful day emceeing, so uh, he's really pumped about that, but it's so great to see so many familiar faces, and also so many faces I've never seen before, which is a great sign, you know, that that church is growing, church is impacting people, which is really, really cool. Uh, Can I just say, particularly my wife and I have, have often spoken about how we now want to emulate what was invested to us in the time that we were part of this church. You know, just the way that people loved us, you know, cared for us, looked out for us as a family. And uh, so I want to thank you for that because the investment that you've made in our lives, we are now wanting to pour out into other people. And uh, particularly, I just want to mention uh, Bruce Billington. You know, you have poured a lot of wisdom um, out over the years to many people, and we've grabbed so many of your thoughts, now pass them off, Hope you know, sometimes pretending they're our own wisdom, you know what I mean? And uh, every now and then I'll give you credit, but but a lot of the time I don't. But, um, but you know what I mean? We, we so value what you have invested into our lives. This place has made a massive difference, and you are continuing to make a massive difference. Can I also just say, I have really enjoyed getting to know Jesse over the last couple of years. Uh, you're, on, you're honestly, you're a phenomenal guy. Um, you know, obviously, I meet many, many people throughout the course of my week and months and things like that. Every single time, without a doubt, when we hang out and have coffee, I come away fired up. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm inspired. I was like, I've got a shot in the arm, you know? I, do you guys find the same thing with him? This guy, I don't know. Do you ever have a bad day? I don't even know if you do. Maybe I'll ask your wife that question. But, um, but you don't appear to ever have a bad day. And there's something just enthusiastic I'm hearing so many great things about this place too, and uh, and which is so so exciting. The eldership team are obviously are doing an incredible job. I actually think we should pause for a moment and thank our eldership team and the leaders here for what they're doing. We should. Uh, that is great. Honestly, you're doing an amazing job. But I'm I'm going to dive straight into it. Uh, Jesse said I only had an hour, so I thought I'd just um I just better get going. But no, I'm just kidding. Some people are nervous. I can see a nervous look across the room when I said that. Hey, uh, I just want to kick straight off into it. Um, so uh, uh, um, a little while ago, I heard a guy by the name of Paul DeYoung uh, say some words. Now, now Paul DeYoung is the pastor of of Life Church in Auckland. Some of you may know him, and uh, and uh, they just celebrated their 25th anniversary, by the way. And uh, and Really, probably for many years, they've probably been the largest church, uh, you know, you could probably say in New Zealand. And they've actually kind of forged a way ahead, you know, for many of us and helped us, you know, increase our levels of faith and expectation of what we can do in the community. And uh, quite recently, he was the guest speaker at the the Salvation Army National Congress that they had, you know, so he, he touches all kind of facets of, 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 our, of our country. But he made this statement and it really struck me. And he was starting to talk about revival. He said, you know, um, when, when we look back 100 years ago, the people that were in those revival times, many of them 
would have no clue that they would have called it a revival time. They wouldn't have ever labeled it that. They didn't know that's what it was. They were just doing their thing and, and ex- hoping that God would make the most of that time. He said, the, the funny thing is, he believes we're in one of those times right now. God is doing something amazing right now. But the thing is, we're in the thick of it, working hard, praying, God, I really want you to do something you know, in, in my community, in my school, in my workplace. And we don't necessarily recognize it for what it was. But he said, look, if God stopped everything he was doing now, and we were, you know, went fast forward 100 years, we look back, we would say without a doubt what we were going through, God was doing something amazing in this place. Now, a couple months ago, we had um, our, our uh, Arise conference. So I'm part of Arise Church. My wife and I are part of the pastoral team there. And, uh, but what struck me, there were, there were people from over 300 churches uh, across New Zealand represented there. There was about six and a half, seven thousand 7,000 people there over the course of about three days. And what struck me was the passion and the hunger for people to say, God, we want you to move in every corner of this nation, every part, every community. God, do something amazing. That's what struck me. You know, there's this, there's this hunger, a passion. God, do something. Here was something quite, quite outstanding. So uh, um, from last year compared to last year to this year, just in our, this conference alone, I think we had four times as many people stick their hand up to say, I want to give my life to Jesus, which was, you know, this is a Christian conference. I'm like, what is going on? But over 800 people over the course of three days stuck their hand up, not to say for ministry. This is, I want to give my life to Jesus. That's what I want to do. God is doing something amazing. You know, uh, we, uh, we ran a, a, a children's conference at the same time. There was nearly 1,000 kids under the age of 12, which is exciting and scary all at the same time, I think. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, and God started doing some amazing things amongst them. There was a, a guest speaker there from Hillsong Church who was a children's pastor. He leaned across to one of our children's pastors on our opening night, and he looked out. He said, you know this is not normal, eh? And he's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? He goes, have a look around the room. This is not normal. He said, what are you saying? Every single one of these kids is engaged right now. They've either got their hands lifted, their eyes closed. They're engaged with God right now. This is not normal. God is doing something in this country, which was amazing. And I heard testimonies afterwards. You know, the, so many people started posting testimonies on, on social media, on you know, group chats that I was part of. A three-year-old who heard God speak distinctly to them about the way that they were interacting with other kids. And they came home, told their mom, I need to change. You know, and their mum was like, thank you, God, you know. Like, this, honestly, this person's had behavioral issues, but God, God can come and speak to any single one of us. God spoke directly to them and spoke. Uh, just, can I just share a couple more stories? Um, so um, I also heard recently, so, you know, we get so encouraged when we hear stories of healing, you know. There was uh, one girl, she's a teenager, and uh, she was in one of our night services, and uh, someone was speaking about, let's, let's believe God for your health and your life, you know, and she could believe it for everyone else, but not for herself. Then she was challenged, okay, God, I'm going to believe you for my life, for my health. And uh, that later on that week, it was about Wednesday night, I think she went to like a you know, home group, cell group, you know, whatever you call them, you know, with her other teenage friends. She confided in them. She said, look, I had not let you know, but I've actually had leukemia for quite a while now. And, uh, and she said, but on Sunday night, I felt to believe God for my health. On Monday morning, she went to the doctors 
They tested her four times because they could not understand where the leukemia had gone. There was no trace anymore in her body, which is absolutely amazing. You know, and I'm just hearing more stories. I was at a, a, a church in Carpety Coast recently, and uh, the pastor there had been preparing to, you know, take a funeral for someone in his congregation. The morning I was there, the woman stood up on stage looking as healthy as ever. She said, I want to tell you the journey God has taken me on in the last year and how he's healed me from cancer. She stood there, I'm cancer-free right now, which is just amazing. You know what I mean? I'm thinking God is on the move. He's doing something incredible in our time. And can I just say, don't believe what the media is saying because the media says, you know, hey, look, the church has become irrelevant. They're dying off. You know, schools are closing their doors. You know, Bible schools, that's a thing of the past. It is actually not true. Did you realize that in Wellington, we could have more Bible and schools if we just had the people to stick their hand up to say, I will do it. Like some schools definitely have closed their doors, but many schools are saying, we will take you if you have the people. Unbelievable. Look at breakfast clubs, you know, and what they're doing. And I know that here at Lane Park, you have people involved in it, breakfast in schools. You know, this is a massive opportunity in our country right now where schools are saying, if you're going to provide breakfast, then church come in, the door is wide open. You know, that is such a unique opportunity right now. And we're, and like, honestly, you go in there. I've been a part of these. It's just so great to get amongst the kids, chat to them. No one's preaching anything. No one's, you know, you know, anything like that. Yet they, they know that this is about God. I know in our church, some people have started, some kids have started to find their way into a church service and give their lives to God. No one asked them to come. No one preached a word to them. But they knew this is about who God is. And if this is what God's like, I want to be a part of it. I want to get into it, which is amazing. I believe that the times we're in right now are incredible times. You know, if you want to use the term, these are revival times because God is doing something right now. We're on the brink of something new right now. I absolutely believe it. And uh, 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 I remember, like, yeah, I mean, to be honest, this is, it really reminds me of, like, uh, the time with the, with the Israelites, you know what I mean? The time with the Israelites, uh, you know, that they, were, they were there in this time and they're crying out. They're in a place where they needed a change. They needed something new. They were standing on the edge. Well, actually, they needed a change. They were crying out to God, God, you know, we need you right now. You know, we're in slavery in our environment. You know, where are you? We need you. Come and step in. You know, and we're very similar in our environment. Maybe you're in school. God, I'm in slavery right now in my school. I need you. Break in, you know. Maybe it's in your workplace. You know, God, this is not going how I thought it would go. You know, God, I need you to break in. Maybe it's in your family life. You know, God, this family is not turning out how I intended. I need you, God. Break in. Bring a freedom. And uh, and uh, God has decided to step in in that moment. So he raised up a leader. We know the story. You know, performed many miracles. Moses performed many miracles and got them out of Egypt. And uh, they they were finally free. But then what he did was he, he kind of said, I didn't actually just get you out of Egypt to make you free. I actually got you out of Egypt for a purpose. There's a purpose ahead. And then he presented them with the promised land. He said, this is what I've got you out of Egypt for. Not just freedom, but I've got you out there for a purpose and a plan. And they stood there on the brink of that opportunity, and they said, no, we won't do it. We can't do it. 
You know, they started to say, what have you brought us here for? We'd rather be back there than doing this. You know, this is crazy. We're not up for the task. We couldn't do it. It's not ours to do. You know, and I remember when I first read this as a kid, and I remember thinking, man, you guys, what are you doing? You know, because as a kid, you know, of course, you know everything, eh? You know, and, uh, and, uh, and I'm reading it. I'm like, what are you guys up to, man? This is, have you not seen the miracles? Do you not know what the opportunity is? And, of course, I'd read the rest of the story. I knew it was going to turn out well, you know, but they didn't know that at the time. But, you know, they're standing on the edge, and they're going, no, we just can't do it. And I remember thinking, these guys are crazy. But when we aren't in the story, we just don't know what it costs. If they were going to take the promised land, then it required something of them. They needed to change. They needed to change. And this brings me to my message title. So for those of you taking notes, because apparently people who take notes end up being a lot more holy than others. Uh, But anyway, um, uh, this brings my message title is this. If you want something new, then prepare for change. If you want something new, then prepare for change. I really wish my title was way more profound than that. You know what I mean? Like you come to a place, and I know you guys invested so much in my life. I'd love to come back and hit you with something snazzy. But that is just the simple simple sense of the message. We all know the phrase, if we do what we've always done, we'll get what we've always got. You know, there's no truer statement than that. You know, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what we've always got. But before we go any further, I think we need to work out, you know, is God actually into something new? Or is this just, you know, someone spouting off something? Let's just take a look at some scripture. Is God actually into something new? In Isaiah 43 verse 19, it says this, For I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Revelation 21 says this, Look, I'm making everything new. And lamentations, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And finally, 2 Corinthians, it says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Man, I think we can clearly see from Scripture, even just a few Scriptures, that God is all about the new. He's all about the new. The new in a a group of people, the new in a country, the new in a school, and the new in our lives. God is all about the new. But here's the tricky thing, right? So we stand here in the now. We know what that looks like. That's pretty clear, plain to us, you know. Over there is the thing that we would, that's the new. That's the thing that we've been dreaming about. Maybe it's about your grandchildren, what you would love to see in them. Maybe it's about what you'd love to see in, a, in your school environment. Maybe it's like what you want to see in your business, how you see your business going, or your workplace, what that looks like. But the thing we face is this gap in the middle. You know what I mean? So I'm standing here. I know what the now is. I'm seeing over there. That looks awesome. But this part in the middle, this is the part that freaks me out a little bit. You know what I mean? And this part, you know, I've got no other word for it. This is what you call change. You know, this is the change part, which is the hardest part. It's the unpredictable bit. The part that when we step into, we don't know what it looks like, what it feels like. This is what the Israelites faced. You know, when they saw the promised land, looked at the change, man, that's too hard. We're going back to where we were. You know what I mean? And that's the part I think that we need to face. It's really interesting. I, um, I read a book uh, by John Maxwell. It's been around for years, stood the test of time. He's written great, uh, great many leadership books. He wrote one called Developing the Leader Within You. 
And, uh, and in it, he has a whole chapter where he deals with change. And, he's, and he lists about 14 different reasons why people resist change. I just want to highlight four for you, okay? Four very quickly. So number one, routine, uh, reasons why we resist change. Number one, routine is disrupted. Our old habits are strong. So we're creatures of habit, you know what I mean? Like just to, just to test this out there, what I want us all to do, I'm going to get us to do an exercise right now, okay? So it's not as hard as lifting chairs, but it's going to be really good. So uh, what I want you to do is clasp your fingers together, just like that. Clasp your fingers together. Okay, it feels like a normal everyday decision. Now I want, what I want you to do, this is what you do when you pray, okay? Now what I want you to do, I want you to unclasp and go the other way. How weird does that feel? Some people can't even do it. I'm just seeing some people struggling with that one. Yes, it's taking people. Feel, it's so so bizarre. Now, you, you probably never realized you clasp your hands together the same way every single time. It, how many other decisions do we make in our life where we do it the same way every single time? The truth is we're creatures of habit and our old habits die hard. You'll notice this in traditional churches, you know, I'm sure it does not happen here, but there are designated seats where people sit, you know what I mean? And if you, and if you walk into a church and someone is sitting in your seat, Man, all hell is about to break loose right now. You know what I mean? I, don't, I can't just, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in this area, but it's not going to be pretty. You know what I mean? But, you know, we are creatures of habit. That's what we're like. Number one. Number two, cr- change creates fear, which can cause inaction. For some reason, fear likes to step in when we face the unknown. You know what I mean? Classic example of this, when I was a kid, I used to um, get on a bus with my mom and we'd go from, we lived in Island Bay and we'd go into the city, you know, I'd done it many times, you know, knew how it all worked. One day I was going to have to do it by myself. This is the first time it was happening. Mum explained it all through to me. I knew every part of the process, but this is the first time I'd done it. I hop on the bus to go. I get on there and suddenly my mind starts to fill with everything that could be wrong about this. You know what I mean? This, I've never done this before. This, what if I'm too young? to press the buzzer. Maybe I am. You know, I just don't know that. Or what if there's a certain way you're supposed to press it? And and everyone looks at me and they'll go, oh, that guy's obviously never done it before. And the closer and closer I got to my bus stop, the more frozen with fear I was until it came to my bus stop. And I just watched it drive by and I was like, that was it. What am I going to do now? You know what I mean? Luckily for me, someone pressed the buzzer, I got off at the next stop and ran all the way back. But it's just a classic example how sometimes, you know, change and the fear that that brings can cause us to be inactive, stand still, do nothing in our spot. Number three is this, people are too satisfied with the way things are. People are too satisfied with the way things are. Uh, so, um, so Henry Ford in 1908 came out with the, you know, the Model T Ford, you know, that classic Model T Ford, which transformed the world. And, and four years later, it's still at the height of its popularity, right? But he had, a, his chief engineer was a guy by the name of William Knudsen. And he'd, he'd been uh, developing a new design for, for the Model T, and he wanted to show Henry Ford. So the day Henry Ford turned up to watch it, some people wrote down what happened. Can I just read this to you? This is someone's eyewitness account of Henry Ford seeing his new Model T. This is it. Ford had his hands in his pockets, and he walked around the car three or four times. It was a four-door job, and the top was down. Finally, he got to the left side of the car. He takes his hands out, gets a hold of the door, and bang, he ripped the door right off. How the man done it, I don't know. He jumped in there and bang, goes the other door. 
Bang goes the windshield. He jumps over the back seat, starts pounding on the top. He rips the top with the heel of his shoe. He wrecked the car as much as he could. Like, that just seems crazy to me. It was at the height of its popularity, and he didn't want to change. He didn't want to see change. The crazy thing was, his chief engineer, who was a real genius, left and went to General Motors to work for another company, you know. And a few years later, to his reluctance, Henry Ford released that model, called it the Model A, and never quite had the same popularity. You know, he just was not willing to change. The final thing, and I won't labor this, change won't happen when people engage in negative thinking. Man, we all know, man, we all know the naysayers, you know what I mean? When you present a new idea and, ah, that'll never work, it's a disaster, I've seen it before, you know, and, and immediately we just left with inaction, you know what I mean? But the funny thing is, you know, let's come back to that phrase, if we do what we've always done, we'll get what we've always got, you know what I mean? So there we go, there we go, um, there we go. But if we want to step into the promised land, if we want to step into that area, then we need to prepare for change. Man, this is everybody's story. You know, this is everybody who's done something significant in business, you know, uh, in education, in the world of science. You know, everything is significant has been because of change. Some key figures in our Bible, you know, take a look at Moses. God calls him, you know, you know he's in a... He's in the back block somewhere, somewhere, and God says, you know, I'm going to do miracles. He'd never done miracles before, you know, and, and he goes, I'm going to use your speech. Like, I'm terrible at speaking. You know, I'm a stutterer. But yet God brought him through that process. He became known for the miracles he performed and for, you know, his eloquent his speeches that could convince people certain things. You know, take a look at other people in the Bible. I mean, we've got uh, Gideon. So Gideon, obviously, you know, God comes to him and says, you're a mighty man of God, a mighty warrior. He was hiding at the time. He said, you got the wrong guy. You know, I'm from the worst clan, the worst family. I'm the wrong guy. Yet God changes his whole world and brings him into a brand new place of using him. Absolutely. The Apostle Paul, you know, he was out there, you know, I mean, he was on the other side of the fence, passionate for sure, man, but he was killing Christians, you know what I mean? That's probably not a great start uh, if God's going to use you. Yet Jesus steps in, you know, he arrests him and says, you know, I want you to, I want you to now work for me. He changed his whole ways and eventually laid his life down for the cause of Christ, which is amazing. Um, but the truth is that we are at the start of something new. And if we want something new, we need to prepare for change. I've just got four simple things that how we can get ready, and I hope these are helpful to you. Four simple things as I, as I bring this thing to a close. Number one, uh, we need to, and can I just say before I say this point, this is the worst point of all, right? Every other point goes up from here, right? So if you hear this one, you want to leave, know there's three other really good points after it, okay? So here we go. Number one, if we want to get ready for change, we need to prepare for pain, all right? God will help you let go. Man, that old cliche is so true. No pain, no gain. You know what I mean? I wish it wasn't true, but it is, you know? So, so that's the thing. But nobody who's achieved anything of significance has avoided walking through pain. You know, that's just how it goes. Uh, John 16, 33 says this. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. I love how it says it in the Amplified Version. I've, uh, hopefully we've got that one as well. I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. 
in the world you have tribulation and distress and suffering. Just in case you didn't get it in the first word, let's labor it, you know. We're going to have that. Now, here's a key thing. So many people think, hey, if I walk in through opposition, surely this can't be God's plan, you know, because if it was God's plan, it should be easy. It should come easy. I think the Scripture is showing us, hey, hey, don't get, don't get distracted by that. Hey, if you're in opposition, you're most likely on the right path. You know what I mean? Most likely on the right path. And be courageous. Be confident. Be undaunted. Be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory abiding. Man, that is so just matter of fact. You know what I mean? God's saying, hey, if you're going through it, just still have joy in your heart because my victory is abiding. You will get to the other side and you'll be grateful that you didn't stop in the middle. You know what I mean? Uh, I remember when uh, my wife and I uh, first actually uh, came to a Rise Church. We'd obviously spent about a decade in this church, which was amazing years. We loved our time here, but really felt God had directed us on. Weren't even sure why. But we're there in Rise Church, and I remember, you know, you, you'll experience it here. People, you know, you'll come, and you'll kind of sit in the background for a while, you know, hoping that no one really notices you and invites you to anything. You know, you just want to suss out the place, you know. And that's that's where we were at. And we, then we got to a point where I thought, you know, it's actually time that I actually step up, step over the mark and, and you know, uh, get involved. And I remember going for a walk one day, and, and nearly I nearly drew a line down on the ground and stepped over it and said, okay, God, this is it. I'm going to get involved I'm going to step out. I'm going to call this my home church, you know. And I thought, God, God will be stoked about this. You know, I step over and I felt like God spoke to me really clearly. And I felt like God said, good, now get ready for the pain. I'm like, what? What kind of welcome is that? You know what I mean? Like, hey, like, like what? Like, aren't you going to say, yeah, that's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great ride. The truth is, is that when you step out of one place and into a new place, everything feels different. You know, it doesn't feel normal. It, it doesn't feel comfortable. It actually feels uncomfortable. You, you know that God is saying, this is the right place right now, but you've got to let go of everything else. And that's the thing. We've got to be prepared for pain. The second thing is this. Prepare a plan. God will use what's in your hands. I think it was John F. Kennedy that said this. Efforts and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. That's an amazing statement, eh? Efforts and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. Uh, growing up, uh, and I grew up in the Salvation Army in Newtown, and there was this, uh, there was this older guy in my church, and uh, every church needs some sort of eccentric kind of, you know, faith-filled encourager, eh? I'm sure, I'm sure we've got many people like this in this place, but they're the kind of people who get alongside, they'll say things that no one else will say, you know what I mean? But uh, this guy used to have these great little phrases that he came up with. And uh, one of his key phrases was, you know, plan your work and work your plan. You know, that was his, that was his great little phrase. And I, you know what? I, over the years, I've come to realize how much wisdom there is in that statement. Plan your work and work your plan. See, because I think God really wants to use what's in your hand. I think many of us think, like I was saying before, you know, hey, look, but if God's in this, I probably don't need to work really hard. God will just make it happen. But the truth is, what if God has equipped you with the skills that you need? What if God said, well, actually, I've put some great skills in your hand. This is the right place. What have you got in your hand? What's your ideas? What can you do? How can you change this environment? What's in your hand that you can, that you can bring about some change? I think a classic example of this in, the, in, in Scripture is when you look at the life of Joseph. You know, So Joseph went on a 
bit of a roller coaster journey, you know, felt, really felt like God had called him to something great. His brothers sell him as a slave. You know, that's not good uh, for your self-esteem in any, in any manner, I think, you know. Um, he obviously went to counseling later on for that one. But, you know, he ends, up, he ends up in every environment. He just puts his hand to work. He does something incredible. Anyway, he's in prison, you know, long story short. He's in prison. Pharaoh has his dream, and, uh, and someone gets Joseph to interpret the dream. So he's there, and the, the dream essentially was about the, there was going to be seven years of bumper harvest crops. Things were going to go really well. And then seven years after that were going to be terrible. Famine in the land, you know, famine in the land. And uh, so J- Joseph goes, and he interprets his dream and speaks to Pharaoh. But then he says this, and we're going to pick it up in Genesis 41, starting at verse 33. Uh, this is what Joseph said. So he just explained his dream. Then he said this, Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man, like obviously sticking his hand up, and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it there so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Now, the question I have is, you know, without a doubt, God gave Joseph the the interpretation of the dream. But did God give Joseph the plan? You know, I've wondered that. Scripture doesn't really even necessarily indicate that God did give him the plan. You know, God certainly had equipped him. You know, God had given them skills of leadership, administration. He had the ability to use resources wisely. He showed that all throughout his life. I wonder whether God had given him an interpretation of a dream, and Joseph said, if I was in charge, this is how I'd work a plan. And I believe that God wants us not to just have a dream, but just think, what could I do? What is in my hand? How can I make a difference? What could I do in my school environment? What could I do in my workplace? And God will start to bless the work of our hands. Um, uh, if we could just, if we just carry on. So uh, sometimes I think God is simply asking, what's in your hand? Make a plan and I will bless it. Third point is this. We need to obviously prepare for pain, prepare a plan. Third thing, prepare the mind. God will use what's in your head. So John Maxwell in his book obviously specifically talks about negative thinking, you know, and, and he comes across that and says, this can be a real killer of things. But all through Scripture, I think God encourages people to think positively. Take a look at Joshua. In Joshua 1, he's about to take the Israelites into the promised land, and uh, he's standing there, and God says, I think, five times in Joshua 1, be strong and courageous. Now, he repeated himself five times. He even said, be strong and very courageous. He even made him cancel the opposite. He said, hey, don't be afraid or discouraged. What was he doing? He was trying to get inside his head. Hey, you've got to think differently about what you're about to step over into. Have a look at Abraham. So he was, uh, had a promise to be the father of many nations. All he sees is his older wife thinking, this doesn't really look possible. You know what I mean? What does God do? He says, have a look at the stars in the sky. Have a look at those. Focus on those. Think about the sand. How many thousands of them? That will be your descendants. He was saying, use your imagination. Get, change the way that you think. Look at something different. 
And also God at times has stepped in and stopped people speaking negatively. Take a look at Zechariah. Uh, So an angel came to tell him he would have a son who would be a powerful man. And uh, Zechariah responded with disbelief. So God took away his ability to speak until eight days after his son was born. I don't know if you ever thought of that. Why did God do that? Well, I think that sometimes the negativity of our speech can stop the fulfillment of God's plans. That's crazy, eh? That is a crazy thought. The negativity of our speech can stop the fulfillment of God's plans. There is so much power in what goes inside of our head and comes out of our mouth. 1 Peter 1 says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, now we live with great expectation. Great expectation. And for my final point, if we could just have the keyboarders come, that would be great. So we prepared for pain, prepare a plan, prepare the mind. The last thing is prepare for the promise. God will bring you through. You know, God can always be relied upon to bring us to the other side. We cannot predict our future, but we can predict the faithfulness of God. You know, God is not asking us to have a blind faith. He's actually asking us to have faith in Him. You know, I remember hearing someone from this this pulpit say the words, you know, you look through Scripture, you'll actually never find a phrase that says, what do you believe in God for? It never says, I'm believe, you know, believing God for, but it always says believing in. We are to believe in God. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. He is our rock. He is our shield. He is the light for our path, a lamp for our feet. He is our fortress, you know, the secure one who hides us, the one who lifts us up when we've fallen down. Our faith is not blind. It's not for something. Our faith is in God. It is in God, what He's called us to, where He's speaking into our heart. And God may have spoken something to you, may have said something to you, it might be, you might realize it is not fulfilled. But God is saying, I'm not asking you to just believe blindly for it. I'm saying, believe in me for it. Believe in me that I can bring about a promise that's been in your heart for a long time. You know, the truth is that, is that um, you know, it doesn't matter our age. You know what I mean? Probably, I would say, if I asked around the room, none of us would say we've arrived in the place of, yes, I've achieved everything. God still has a promise. God still has a purpose, has plans for you, has plans for your children, has plans for your grandchildren. He's got plans for you in your workplace, in your school. He's got a hope and a dream for your business, you know. God is deeply interested in what you put your hand to, and He's got a plan and a purpose to see that achieved. I absolutely believe it. You know what? Coming here today, I really felt God challenging me again in this. You know, so often it gets easy to say, God, it's too hard. I Look, I, I don't think I've got what it takes. You know, probably one of the major things that happens in my life. I don't think I've got what it takes. But look at the Israelites. They're standing on the edge. Take a look at this. 40 years later. So they'd said no. 40 years later, they scooped forward. They're standing there with Joshua. And Joshua standing in front of them and said, should we go in again and take the land? These are their words. This is Joshua 1. They answered Joshua, we will do whatever you command us. We will go wherever you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything you command will be put to death. 
So be strong and courageous. Why couldn't they do this 40 years earlier? You know what I mean? What, what, the land hadn't changed. The people they were going to face hadn't changed. You might even say they were in a worse place. They just lost the best leader they'd had. He is now dead. They got a new guy. I'm not even sure what he's like really, you know. New management. You know, how's this going to go? But they just knew this is the right time. So what had changed? They had changed. They were now prepared for change. They were prepared for that. They were prepared for pain because they were about to go into battles. They knew it was going to be painful. They had a plan. They prepared a plan. They prepared their mind to think positively. And they are now preparing for the promise of God to come true. Just right across the room, I'd just love us to just all stand to our feet for a moment. Let's just stand to our feet. Now, I prepared this message and I really, I had no insight as to what is in people's minds, what you're going through right now. But I absolutely believe without a doubt that God is speaking their hearts all over this place. And maybe there's something in you, you've let go of something or you've, you're standing on the edge of something but you just have not known whether you have what it takes to walk through it. Well, right now, I just think, let's take a moment with our eyes closed, our heads bowed. If this has spoken to you, you feel like God is speaking to you right now, and you feel like now is your moment to say, God, I don't know if I can do it, but I have faith in you. Then right across this room, why don't we just raise our hands? If that is you, if God is speaking to you, just raise your hand right now. In this moment, it's a surrender to God. God, This is me. I'm saying, I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to set aside what I see in my past, set aside what I even see right now. And I'm going to say, God, I believe in you. I believe that you have a plan. I believe, God, that you are greater than my circumstances. You are greater than anything I can face, any challenge that's in front of me. God, I believe that you are all powerful. You have the ability to push through. God, right now, we stand in front of you. And Lord, I just pray, come upon us. Lord God, you are all powerful, yet you choose to move through us, God. It astounds me. It amazes me. But God, right now, you see hands and you see hearts, a willingness to say, God, I'm going to step into your pathway. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and into the promised land. Step out of what do I know now and step into change. God, I pray, give us courage, Give us strength, give us fortitude and everything that we need to make this happen. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesse.